Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen? How do I make money for my podcast? The answer to every one of these questions is really simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match with you great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. That means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. I use Anchor in a simple matter. I take my podcast episodes, edit them in Premiere, upload them to Anchor and schedule them and set my tags and my description, all that good stuff. Just sit back and let it distribute to all the platforms. It's very simple and very easy to use and very user-friendly. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start to join me and a diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear your podcast. Let's go. This is the Chase in the Frame podcast, where we interview people in the TV and film industry, talking about their journey, how they got to where they are today. We do this podcast for the frame chasers. This is for those in the film industry, going hard, let them know who we are. Frame chasers, we're, we're not chasing the fame, no, no. Tell them what we do. Chasing the Frame. This is the Chasing the Frame podcast with your host, John DeMarco. Let's go. What up, Frame Chasers? It's Wednesday, and you already know what it is. A new episode of Chasing the Frame. Today is episode 74, and today I have David S. Womack. David, how are you today? I'm doing absolutely wonderful. Excited. I'm excited for you to be here as well. David is a director, producer, editor, writer. When I say, is that safe to say too? Uh, yep, yep. All right, cool. Uh, did I say cameraman? Uh, camera operator, cinematographer. Boom. Anything else that I'm missing? I feel like you're a jack of all trades. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I like to. I'm mostly behind the camera. Actually, 100% behind the camera. I do not like acting, so uh, just don't call me an actor. Okay, so you're not an actor. Okay, just make sure. I no, knew that already. No, okay. no, no, no. But um, before we get into the show, we have to take care of some housekeeping like we always do, guys. So first off, we have to thank our affiliate uh, partner, Artlist.io. Honestly, the best music licensing platform for any type of content creator. Thousands of new songs every day and unlimited downloads, which is always a plus, especially when you're trying to find music for any project. That is always the hardest part. Don't you agree, David? Absolutely. Do Have you used Artlist, by the way? Uh, so Artlist was actually one of my top options whenever I need the, that music. Then listen to this man because he also uses Artlist as well. So again, guys, Artlist.io is in our description. You can sign up today and you get a year and two extra months free. So check it out again. Artlist.io, an inspiring music licensing platform created by filmmakers for filmmakers. Second, guys, we have merch for you at teespring.com slash stores slash chasing dash the dash frame not only are we selling uh shirts we are selling a hashtag frame chaser mask for ten dollars honestly it's a very comfy cloth mask and it's super stylish and you let people know that you're a frame chaser on set third check out our uh production apparel as well we're an affiliate partner with them uh we have they have awesome shirts not only like for camera department but sound and ed uh editing i think as well too and writer if not mistaken and i think they have a director shirt but they also have some stickers too as well. And I'm not going to lie, they have rap gifts. Well, rap 
uh, gifts in the sense of like you can buy stuff for your rap team if you're doing production in that regard. And fourth, it's time for the show that I ask for the donations to Church of the Frame. Three ways to donate. PayPal.me slash DTF Podcast. It's the one-time donation, guys. Two, Patreon, $5 membership a month, which allows you early access to audio and visual content a week before it airs. And three, in the description below are links to our cryptocurrencies that we have uh, for our trust wallet so you can send a bunch of crypto, different crypto, cryptocurrencies to us um, I think that's the way you can self-fund your own project in filmmaking but that's just my opinion but also remember to like our Facebook page as well as subscribe to our YouTube page and hit that notification bell as well on YouTube so guys let's get ready who's ready to chase frames David first question I ask everyone on the show is where are you from originally uh, so originally I'm from Philadelphia Pennsylvania Okay. And Pennsylvania, I grew up. Uh, Philadelphia, a lot of people are familiar with it. It's you know, it doesn't have you know one of the best reputations. So uh, you know, uh, my mom got us out of there. You know, going into middle school for me, um, and you know, so that's where I'm from. And uh, I, I go back home to visit you know, all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge Philadelphia Eagles fan. Go Eagles. Oh God. Fly Eagles fly. Oh, I'm a Giants you know, fan. So, uh, I'm a Giants fan. I don't, I don't know how. Oh, oh. Well, uh, Hey, we're all at home on the couch right now. That's so. true. Good point. <laughs> hey, you know, good job. Redskins, you know, they fought for it, but you know, so, uh, that, that's my background. Um, you know, I would love to go into the background of filming, but before I do, John, yeah. I just want to ask you a question. Yes, sir. I have, you know, some audience members that are watching, mm-hmm. you know, they, they love the radio business. They love podcasts. I would like to start off by asking you, you know, a little bit about yourself just for so that my audience could, you know, get to know you. Sure. Uh, tell me about yourself and how did you get into, you know, podcasting? Well, uh, I'm from New Jersey originally, so I've been out here almost eight years. Uh, I went to Rutgers, uh, Rutgers University, New Brunswick, so... I have been to Philadelphia a few times, actually, for some cheesesteaks. So, uh, Tony oh, Luke's, yeah. Tony oh, Luke's is the shit. Yeah. Um, oh, yes, it is. So, yes, I do know Philly. Uh, also, I went there for a job interview once, and that, that was very scary because nice, dirt, nice, scary, nice, scary, nice, scary. Interesting uh, stuff right there. And then, um, but how I got into podcasting, it's kind of funny because I used to work in, I, I work for the news. I'm a photojournalist for the news, and... I took a year away from that, and I worked for a dude who I followed around like Gary V would. You know how Gary V, the Daily V's and stuff like that? So I followed this dude yep. around for a year, and he had a podcast. And I'm like, well, shit, I kind of want to do a podcast thing too because podcasts kind of are getting big and are, are kind of big already, and they're always growing. And like it's going to yeah. be over a billion-dollar industry, I think, in this year alone. I think it was close to it last year or it was, so I apologize with those numbers. But I thought, I'm like, kind of want to do a podcast and when we did this when we started we didn't know what we were going to do originally so when i had my friend come over my friend mark who is our audio engineer as well as the colorist for these episodes when we uh, color grade these and do the audio so he came over and i'm like mark originally our first one was about marvel and dc movies and i was like this is stupid this is dumb well, I, I think i trashed oh, it what? it was a really it was we didn't know what we were talking about i felt like and we were just yeah. kind of rambling yeah. and stuff so there's no structure there and then I had him come over again, and I'm like, let's just do a podcast where let's talk about the cycles of music and, like, how, you know, emo music and, like, you know, rock music transformed into, like, other st- stems of music for us through high school. And I want to see if we can connect the dots through that. 
And then after that podcast, which is technically our first one, which is now our number three one, our third one out. But after that, we did I did a one-on-one interview with Mark where we sat down and we talked about his journey as a filmmaker and stuff like that. So we sat down, uh, we, had, we had that we had that discussion, and I'm like, this is a really good idea. So even the even the second episode, I just had my friends on, and we talked about production when we did Murder for Dummies and the production of um, um, Wired that we were doing as well. And and I didn't really hit the stride until the fourth episode, which was Kelly D. Christ- Christensen, and I, I'm like, that's it. This is all about people's journeys and their you know their journey to get become a you know a frame chaser as i call it so that's how the podcast evolved wow. and you can all you can listen to a lot of this on episode 52 of our podcast where it, we turn the tables and we interview me so they can get more information yeah. there yeah oh man wow yeah oh actually i did listen to episode 52 yeah uh you know now would be a good segue if you haven't listened to episode 52 I would definitely uh, listen to that after you listen to this one, of course, yes. uh, and, and check it out just so you guys know more about John mm-hmm. and uh, you know what he's doing in this industry. But oh yeah, so um, back to you. Yeah, so back to myself. All right, so my second question to you, David, is what was that movie, TV show, actor, director, anything creative that spoke to you and you said, "I want to be a filmmaker." All right, so. Uh, it all started. It all started when I was twelve years old, and I will never forget this. And okay. It may be a long story, but it's fine. Bear with me. Um. So when when I was about twelve years old, and I re- it, I remember because it was on my twelfth birthday. Mm-hmm. We went to the park. We went to one of the largest parks in Philadelphia, and uh, we you know we had a cookout. You know, we invited the whole family. It was my birthday. It's it, May fifteenth. Mm-hmm. So in the middle of the summer. You know, the whole family's coming out, aunts, uncles, cousins, they're all there. And we were at the park. And uh, for my 12th birthday, my mom got me a video camera. She bought it for me. Uh, I think it was from either Circuit City or Best Buy. I know it was from a big box store. Yeah. but And, uh, you know, that day changed my life. Not only did, you know, she give me a camera, so... Immediately after the gift opening ceremony, uh, we went. The park has a huge freeway going through the middle, and you probably already know where the story is going. So it has a huge freeway that cuts through the middle of the park. Yeah. So we used we used to run across the freeway, kids, you know, to the other side of the park where the yeah. swimming pool was. So instead of going across the bridge, which was maybe I was a kid, so it felt like forever, but it was mm. just you know maybe a couple yards up the yeah the street. Uh, but we just decided to run across. The, of course, my mom, my aunties, my uncles, they all took the bridge. Mm-hmm. We ran across the freeway. It's a rush. But anyway, so long story short, my brother got hit by a car. Oh, shit. On my 12th birthday. Oh, my gosh. So, um, you know, I filmed. And when he got hit, I just got a camera. So I'm filming everything, the whole yeah. ordeal. And so I got the aftermath. I didn't see when he got hit. Because once I got the word, got back to me, mm-hmm. I, you know, grabbed the camera, went down there. Yeah. 12th birthday. This was, um, uh, it was 2000, 2000-something, 2000 okay. you know, but I'm 33 now, so you guys out there do the math. But, um, so get the camera, you know, get a bunch of footage, everybody's crying. Yeah. You know, the people that hit him, 
they actually did a hit and run, so they pulled off and just yeah. kept on going. Oh fuck! And on the freeway, it was the freeway. Yeah. So yeah, uh, they came back later, but later in the story. Uh, but so get all the aftermath. Uh, you know, we get the footage, take it home, and back then it was, it was a Sony camera. Mm. No, no, actually, let me correct that. The second camera was a Sony camera. The first camera was a Sharp. I don't know if you remember brand yeah. Sharp. They used to actually make cameras. Yes, they do. It was like a brick style camera with the viewfinder yep. and the uh, lens right here on the corner. Oh, I know what you're talking about. But, uh, yeah, so uh, I believe it was on, I want to say a floppy disk. Maybe not a floppy disk, but... Uh, was it mini DV tape? It wasn't a tape. It was one of the first cameras that it didn't use a DV tape, but it, it used a... Um, DVD? It, it wasn't a DVD. It was like a compact DVD almost. Interesting. Um, it was like so weird. It was like yeah. a compact DVD. You put it into an adapter, and then you put the adapter into whatever your ingest was. So yeah. uh, back then it was USB. Yeah. Now everything's USB C or whatever. But back then it was just USB. Yeah. So or you connect a camera up directly to the USB. So it was like you know top of the line. Yeah. Um, but uh, so got all the footage. We uploaded it onto the computer, and back then, uh, we we had AOL, mm-hmm. uh, you know, which was the slowest internet, you know, known to man. Agree. Uh, you know, there was agree. It's, it's famously known for the dial-up, you know, annoying sound. I'm not going to annoy you guys' ears with that, but it's a, a everybody knows the sound when you connect to the internet, and then you've got mail. Yeah. Well, you know, so you guys know, but um, yeah. So we uploaded the footage. And back then, we didn't have uh, like you know Dropbox and cloud drives, so you had to save everything onto your hard drive, which yeah. plenty of people still do. But you have to save it onto your hard drive and basically create a link from your hard drive so that I can then share that link, like a file sharing. Yeah, I can share this link. So we created the link. Just to preface, I was in computer programming my entire AP, my entire mm-hmm. high school career, elementary school career. So we're, we were already well-versed on how to use the computer and how to use the internet. Yeah. And then that goes into my app development, which we'll Gotcha. But uh, so we upload the footage, you know, uh, log on, and we had a file sharing program. Uh, it was called Napster. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Napster, but Napster was a huge file sharing program well, am, back in the aware. day. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, we, you know, I uploaded everything onto Napster. We created a link so that, you know, we could share it to the everybody, family, everybody that wanted to see the footage. Mm-hmm. So uh, it then gets around to the news station because the news station heard about a big uh, you know, the traffic was backed up for miles. Yeah. This kid just got hit by a car. So you know, the, it's it's newsworthy. So the news yeah. station got a hold of it of the story. So they they wanted to interview my brother. Like, hey, you know, it was a hit and run. We want to find the people that did this. You know, just get on camera and talk. Yeah. And then, long behold, you know, they ask, hey, do you guys have any footage? And I said, of course I do. So that you know, long story short, that particular moment is when. I feel like I got into news broadcasting. Yeah. Because then they used the footage on the news 
Uh, they gave me video credit at the bottom. Twelve years old. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah. They gave me video credit. My mom, she was, she could have got the video credit for it, but you know, mm -hmm. she was just like, yeah, you know, it's Davis camera. Yeah. So, and then after that, I feel like I've been zoned in since mm -hmm. within the media and the video world. Yeah. And I don't know if you guys done the math by now, but um, yeah, I'm 33 now. I was 12 years old. So about 20, 20 21? years ago. Almost 21 years ago. 21 years ago. Wow. Yeah. Well, hey, hey. got to own it. But yeah, so, um, you know, quite a long time ago. Yeah. And uh, that was my first, you know, introduction into the new. Now, my mom got me the camera because I always, you know, yeah. was fascinated with it. And also, uh, I'm from an entertainment family. Mm -hmm. uh, my uncle is Bobby Womack. He's right. a famous musician, R&B singer. They still use his songs in movies today. And so, you know, we were from an entertainment based family. So basically, my next thing was to directly go into video yeah. and, you know, quality control editing, yeah. you know, that that path. So she, you know, uh, I don't know what made my 12th birthday so special. Uh, she pushed me in that direction and you know, I've been thriving ever since. But, yeah, that's definitely the first moment that I can remember yeah. really made me feel like, oh, this is where I belong. Yeah. Just because they put my name, you know, uh, now it's courtesy of, I forget what it was back then. Yeah. But it, it had that same moniker. It's I'll never forget it. It's source, credit, uh, courtesy. It's It changes. It's around. usually one of those iterations. Yeah, one but, of those uh, three. I've my brother was getting interviewed. They did use the interview. They, they brought out their own camera to interview my brother. Mm -hmm. But then, if you know how video editing goes, they'll overlay yeah. the screaming footage and you know man it, it kind of blew me away you know mm -hmm. to see myself on that screen and my name at least yeah and then see my brother there but then my name is video credit it was like mind-blowing for me and then since then i've have always been labeled the you know the video guy uh it, you know over time i developed into a cinematographer yeah, yeah. director producer because I feel like producer, you know, a cinematographer, director, all fall under the producer. You know, as long as we're producing content, yeah. you yourself is a producer, you yeah. know. So that's how awesome. I feel about it. So overall producer, you know, moving into that mm -hmm. is was kind of like from 12 all the way to 33. Yeah. It's a, it's a, and I tend to like to think that I built up a consistent, you know, database of content yeah since i was 12 years old it it's it's crazy that you mentioned circuit city and if that was actually the first place you got your camera that is funny because my first place i got my camera was circuit city as well man circuit city was the best it was the number one place to go to back then mm -hmm. i I'd never really started shopping at best buy until i was maybe like Maybe eighteen. <laughs> Until once I Circus got out City on my own, gone. <laughs> but Circus City was definitely yeah. the number one source for family entertainment, yeah. family gadgets. You know that you know the whole family could kind of enjoy. Yeah. That's why you know, you know, getting my camera from there would have been the number one choice for us. Understandable. And sadly, they're no longer around. Yeah. But uh, you know, Toys R Us isn't around either. So I, you no know, things back, are changing. I think there's like always that. 
in the news, I've seen like Toys R Us is supposed to come back, but smaller stores, I think, brick and mortar wise, or they were going to. I don't know exactly where the tra- trajectory of that is at the moment anymore. I would, and KB's Toy Store is not around anymore either. Remember KB's Toy Store? Oh, and they're trying to bring back FBO Schwartz, I think, because I've seen that in Target this year, like the toy section. Because I have like uh, the, my cousins, their kids, like I, I give them toys. So I'm like, FBO yeah. Schwartz. I'm like, what? Like, I thought they were all gone. Like, are they coming? Is there a comeback here? Is there nostalgia? Um, Honestly, man, yeah. they have a tough fight ahead of them if they decide to come back into the mix. Because yeah. Amazon is taking over everything. I know. And, I know. you know, Coca-Cola is too. You know, as you see right there if you're yeah. on the video. <laughs> I do but, see that. You know, they're taking over. And, and Toys R Us definitely have a hill to climb. Yeah. And they really want to get back that imprint back, you yeah. know, the stores open everywhere. Movie theaters were fortunate enough to be able to reopen yeah. and kind of keep their doors open. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is one movie theater, you know, um, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Regal Theaters. Yeah, I love Re- uh, Regal that's, that's my, unfortunately, that's my they Unfortunately, they did have to close permanently. Yeah. Uh, they were talking about reopening, but... Um, you know, it's again, it goes back into needing to reopen all of these locations, get a manager in there, get, you know, crew members. So, you know, and that, that'll that be a huge feat for a lot of people that that want to get back yeah. into mainstream. But Agreed. starting brick and mortar, you know, yeah, that's that's plenty of opportunity there. And, and I like brick and mortar more because I actually like going physically to stores a lot and seeing what the product yeah. I'm getting instead of like kind of because like we ordered a timer, like one of those sand timers on Amazon. Me and my uh, me and Mark for a yeah, podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we like oh, oh, that looks pretty big, and we get it. It's like this instead of like this big, which we thought it was like this big. So we're like, got him. I'm like, oh man. Oh shit. Well. You know what happened? Oh uh, no! Yeah, yeah, no, no, it definitely happens. Yeah, uh, you know, fortunate enough, you know, I'm not pitching Amazon or nothing, but they do have a pretty good return policy. No, I know. You know, yeah. so you can return it. We kept it. You know, you can open it, get your fingers on it, and just throw it back in the box yeah, yeah. and send it <laughs> off to UPS. But uh, you know, luckily they do have that option for, yeah. especially us filmmakers. You know, because in this film business, uh, we're gonna go through equipment. All the time, you know, in the radio audio business, you guys, you know, you stick with the same equipment, mm-hmm. maybe a new deck comes out, but I doubt you guys are investing in new microphones all the time. Yeah. You know, once you guys get to that point where I, well, this outside looking in, but I feel like once you guys get that to that point of quality, you guys is there. Yeah. Okay. Now, in yeah. the video world, there's a new camera that comes out. With the highest qualities, the highest specs, that I, you know, all of the platforms kind of lean towards. Yeah, I, you know, uh, accepting. Boat. But you know, <laughs> I'm in yeah. that boat right now. I mean, I have a Blackmagic Production 4K camera, which I got like four years ago or five years ago, and yeah. I regret getting that camera every time. Someone's like, "Oh, nice camera," because oh, no. it was good for what it was for the minute. But because it's the one of the original Blackmagic production cameras, especially with the 2.5K and the, the 4K one, the 2.5K goes to like 200 to 1600 ISO. 
The problem with the 4K one is it only goes to 200 to 800 ISO. And then on top of that, Ooh. 800 ISO has a fixed noise pattern in low light. So you can't really do low light capability things in there if you're trying to do it. You have to really light, obviously you have to really light it up, but still like yeah. you're kind of nervous about how the shadows are going to fall. And you're like, all right, is that, and then you look at it and you're like, oh, that's a fixed noise right there. And then you're screwed. And then on top, like there's a lot of issues with that camera. And even that on top of that too, there's an IR uh, pollution on that camera as well. So like I tried to put some ND filters on mm. there, just some basic ass ND filters because yeah. I, I don't have the fucking money to spend shill like, you know, fucking $200 for an ND filter at the moment. Yeah. So I put it on and my footage is brown and it's like I'm reading into oh. it and I'm like, it's an IR pollution problem. So I can't even use yeah. ND filters on there. So let me ask you a question. Yeah, Do you ahead. have a map box on the front of the um Black Magic, the no, map I, box. I don't have a map box. Okay, because uh, the screw on filters, yeah. you know that you're probably you're using the screw on filter, right? Oh yeah, I, have, I don't use them anymore though. Okay, yeah. So uh, with a map box, you can slide those filters in, yeah. and they're usually higher quality because with the screw filters, mm -hmm. unfortunately, that glass has to be uh, yeah. cut and beveled and put inside of a the wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To keep it, you know, so there's a lot of elements that's happening in there where, you know, with the map box, it's a piece of clean glass, clean glass yeah. you know, four by four. You slide it straight in there. Yep. It gives you the best quality. Yep. Now, as far as the IR pollution, uh, are there any software updates? That, that camera hasn't had a software updates since I got it. So they haven't, they, they haven't given a shit about that 4K camera since they released it. And then they, like... Literally, when the production, the Pocket Cinema, the original Pocket Cinema came out, that's when, like, you knew the time for the 4K was slowly dying because the Ursa came yeah. out after, and then, like, and they're like, all right, they don't care about this camera anymore. So, yeah. I try to film all of my projects on either uh, the RE Mini mm -hmm. or above, yeah. the Reds, or, or even the Ursa Mini, but yeah. I think it's the Mini 4.6K Pro. Yeah, yeah. Those are the line of cameras that I particularly yeah. film with, um, you know, just because, you know, we have more control over yeah. the image and you know, the final output. Mm -hmm. um, and also, it's, it again, the, the camera is just one tool in the shed, right? Yeah, no, exactly, you, gotta, yeah. you should have a shed full of tools. The camera is just one tool. And, you know, in the camera, you know, in the in the shed, you'd have a wrench and you'll have multiple sizes of that one wrench. Mm -hmm. That's what cameras are. Right. Yeah. It's just the wrench. So with your camera in particular, uh, like you kind of mentioned, the lighting is is what's important. Yeah, because more important than the camera itself, obviously, with, you know, the uh, uh, fixed noise pattern and, uh, you know, low, low light. Yeah. Uh, but when you, whenever you even scenes. Okay, let's go into filmmaking. Yeah, yeah. Even scenes that you see on TV that are really dark. Yeah. In real life, they're really bright. Oh, they're yeah, brightly I know that. lit. Yeah, yeah. We're never really filming in really dark mm -hmm. unless unless it's really conducive to the story. If a building collapses, you're under and under rocks. Yeah. You know, you obviously you don't really need too much light everywhere. But you know, uh, for those horror movies, they're usually brightly lit yeah. and then they're bringing down the color in post. So, you know, you always want to make sure your scene is lit. I don't know if you get, you guys are watching, but, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I was lit from every angle for this particular image. Uh, so 
And then when you take it into post, it it may even show up darker. Mm. You know, see how I got hot spots all over the place? Yeah. In post, you would edit and bring it even darker. Mm. So just keep that in mind. So normally in the narrative business and the you know production business, yeah. we're not necessarily faced with that particular issue. Uh, because the lighting is so plentiful yeah. and the light's gonna be thrown everywhere, then you can design it better in post. Mm. And that goes into cinematography. Yeah. You know, I'm also a cinematography consultant. So, you know, I, I kinda, you know, uh, you know, freelance, yeah. you know, to consult people with their lighting help. And something that I always learned from people over time is that they don't understand that the camera is almost secondary to lighting. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you do need the camera to yeah. get the image, to capture the image. Yeah. But uh, normally, if you go into a big production set, they're setting up the lights first, and then they bring the camera in second. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, one of my first real sets we uh, I, I went on. We, we used the red. And I realized that day I talk about my episode, so I'm gonna briefly talk about this. But we, but yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, we, um, you know, this guy had over five hundred thousand dollars worth of equipment. So this, like, he literally had the. This was when the red 4K uh, Epic was around. Yeah. M. Yeah. So and he was like, "Oh, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get the upgrade for the 5K." But but, but besides that, we're setting up lights for this stuff, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" Now I understand why people are using reds and why you need to light. Because before that, I was having the mentality of a cinematographer because you're like, oh, shit, it's, it's college cinematographer. Where you're like, oh, a DSLR. Yeah. Oh, my God, low light, 50 millimeter lens. Oh, my God, I don't need lights. Who needs that? And, you know, you can kind of get some decent images, but you look back at it and I'm like, I can just refix everything here. I know how what to do now correctly if I had the time, the money, and the, the budget for the better things in life to do some things. And I'm like, yeah, I... I understand why red and lighting is important. <laughs> like why the not just the red, but like other cameras too. But like so, why lighting? So is believe it or not, yeah. I shot my uh, so about five years ago. Yeah, I got with a partner of mine, and we basically developed the idea for a TV show here in Las Vegas. Yeah, right. I'm based in Las Vegas, so uh, we also noticed that a lot of production and you know studios didn't necessarily, um, you know produce here yeah. produce out of las vegas we don't have too many production studios aside from e and g studios mm -hmm. electronic news gathering studios yeah. like you know uh the channel local news um maybe like a vegas 24 7 channel somewhere but we ne never really had productions coming out of vegas you know uh there was an idea that was brought up maybe 10 15 20 years ago something like that I, it was before my time mm -hmm. But um, uh, basically, ooh, basically, uh, oh, wait, I, I'm getting feedback. Hold on. But uh, so before my time and um, the the stage plays were there was a company that came here and that was going to basically live stream all of the stage plays. This was before Twitch, before all of that. And uh, I don't know how to have the sources just yet, but um the uh, the stage plays were going to have a channel where they were going to be live streamed into onto this you know twenty four hour network. Yeah, and all of the stage plays producers they were all on board, and uh, that project just fell through. You know, they were going to have this Lane Dion um, show, 
they're going to have all of the popular stage plays. Jabberwock is, well, it has to be like 15, but I think 10. But uh, they have all these acts connected to it, and uh, it just fell through. Mm. So that was really discouraging for the Las Vegas market, yeah. you know, especially people that want to get out there and produce. And, uh, you know, what that kind of taught me, just going back into history, reading about that story, what that kind of taught me is that Vegas is, the, the saying what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas is true, mm-hmm. okay? Yeah. It's absolutely 100% true. And the state literally markets so things will stay that way, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, um, it, we all know it's a marketing slogan, but uh, some producers within the Vegas area just are having a tough time getting out, getting their content out. Yeah. Uh, you know, now with more and more, the, you see the streaming platforms are kind of blooming all over the place. Mm. My goal was to, with Back to Vegas Social, my goal was to show the inner workings of Las Vegas as far as, you know, obviously celebrity, you know, socialites, influencers, because those are people with the audiences, you know, unfortunately, mm. but those are the people with the audiences. So I was together all of these guys. Yeah. Now these type of shows are being filmed already. Yeah. Uh, you got the Love and Hip Hops. You got um, you know Housewives of Beverly Hills, yeah, Jersey County. Shore. You got reality shows yeah. all over the place. So you know reality shows is nothing new. It's just that Vegas didn't have a you know Housewives of Las Vegas yeah. or a Love and Hip Hop or a Vegas Shore. You know yeah. uh, Jersey Shore ended up bringing their show over here yeah but there was nothing that was produced out of vegas Mm -hmm. you know um but but my goal was to get a show a reality show get the influencers all together uh obviously drama will ensue drinks will be thrown and the goal was to get that established here so that vegas can be taken as a not only a stage play, not only gambling, not only making huge tons of money, but also, uh, you know, a TV production, mm-hmm. you know, site. You know, I wanted to not saying that I can do that myself, but yeah. I can I can help push that narrative along so that Vegas can become a filmmaking capital, not the number one capital, but one of the sites for filmmakers to really come and thrive, actors to come and thrive and and. Why I chose Vegas? Uh, because it's the entertainment capital of the world. Why isn't it number one for filmmaking and film production? Why isn't there a Netflix studio in this huge desert right here in our backyard? Yeah, there's you know thirty thousand you know miles and miles of desert. They can plop down a Netflix studio right then and there yeah. instead of you know squeezing into a small place like Albuquerque, New Mexico. Yeah. How often do you hear about productions coming out of Albuquerque, New Mexico? And that's where Netflix decided to put their studio. Maybe it's the tax incentives, too, in Albuquerque, because I heard they were better than Vegas as well. I'm glad you brought that up. Um, You know, tax incentives are important. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the ways you can hold filmmakers back uh, is by not, you know, not being fair with your tax incentive. Let's just say that. And when you see states that are purposely moving their tax incentive in the other direction, instead of 
you know, kind of what Albuquerque did was to undercut everybody. Yeah. And then Louisiana did was undercut everybody, which just seems to be a pretty normal practice. Yeah. You know, I, I think, you know, Nevada will have to be on that list of getting that tax incentive in the right place so that these production can come here. Yeah. Uh, you know, make productions add into add value into Vegas. Also, yeah. Vegas will add value to them. Everybody comes to Vegas anyway. Yeah, no, it's very true. If I didn't live here, I visit would have visited multiple times. You yeah. probably would have visited. Everybody, you know, at least is going to come through Vegas. Why not have the productions here? You know, where we have the desert. Why not? Mm. You know, so I took it upon myself to actually, you know, become a. Um, uh, well, to add into the story of Vegas becoming a film capital. Hmm. So that's that's my goal, and that's one of the reasons why I created the show Vegas Social. I've created many productions since. A Vegas Social was something that I felt that could ingrain into this Vegas spirit hmm. and also help lift this spirit and the filmmaking production up another level. Gotcha. And that was, you said, how many years ago? Uh, Vegas Social. It's about three years old now. So uh, we first got we first launched on Prime Video. It was mm -hmm. a Prime Video yeah. uh, original. And then once that expired, you can then you know uh, license out to yeah yeah anybody who just says any content platform. Gotcha. So you know that's that's one of the shows that I'm going to put out there. You know, up some steam. You know, let my name grow in the industry and the business. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've already shot it. It's like, you know, you know, it gets, you know, it gets pretty, you know, it's a reality show. So, you know, there's plenty of people that hate my guts for filming a reality show. Mm -hmm. Oh, you're disrespectful. Oh, you're showing this in a bad light. Oh, you're, you know, so the reviews are all over the place. Yeah. Um, but I would say that, you know, I was able to deeply um, find a cast that are deeply ingrained in the Vegas, uh, the Vegas uh, scenery, the yeah. Vegas, Vegas environment. Try to get people that are born and raised here, um, people that are stand the networks mm. and understand the culture behind Vegas. Yeah, uh, but that's one of the shows that kind of broke me through into the TV world. Mm -hmm. uh, so you know. And, and before I get into that, yeah, I kind of want to go to a place that uh, kind of gave me the inspiration for that. Mm. Um, you know, I, I so I went to LA Film School. I used to work in LA. Yeah. And uh, coming up in LA, you know, you're on different sets, different productions yeah, every yeah. single day. I, I happened to make my way to um, to uh, the Love and Hip Hop set. Mm. Uh, there was a show called Love and Hip Hop Reality Show. Produced by Mona Scott Young, um, Rockfish Entertainment, one of their companies. And I made it with the set. I could follow the way that they did it. They had, you know, four cameras. Uh, you know, they had the whole, the whole thing going. They had the actors going. It was all unscripted. Yeah. And I, and I learned a lot from there. And then I thought, you know, what she did to the city of L.A. was L.A. has always been considered Mecca, right, yeah, Mecca, for Hollywood. Yeah the 1940s, 50s. They won Super Bowl or Super Bowl in LA or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, but uh, you know, so 
from and, and I kind of was mentored under her mm-hmm. on this guy. And you know, just coming up under her, she kind of taught us that you know, you, you kind of have to attach yourself to a city. Yeah. And obviously you'll grow beyond that, you know, but you want to attach yourself to that city and get to know everybody in that city, all of the movers and shakers, yeah. do all the interviews you can, you know, talk to as many outlets as possible for one city. Mm. And then, you know, once you kind of get the love of your city and, you know, uh, in the stage world, you know, they do local community play, you want to build some type of reputation just so that, you know, that city can then eventually give you the key to the city or, or you know, but you overall, you do want to pick a city where, you know, you kind of are moving things forward and taking things to the next level. Yeah. And I, I didn't necessarily feel that in LA. Mm-hmm. So that made me move over to, I feel like LA is already conquered. Yeah. So many people. Makes and sense. LA, you can't really in LA. Yeah. But Vegas, I've seen this market which is so thrived that number one production mm-hmm. that I said, you know what, Vegas has to play for people yeah. and, and build that film career. Gotcha. I was actually going to ask you if we can just step back a little bit about when you transition or after 12 years old, what, what were you doing? Like, were you making films and all that stuff with your friends and actually get to the college and where you went to college and stuff like that? So you kind of answered that question, actually. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. No, but no, no, no. when so, you went look, to... Look, look, after 12. Uh, what was that? Look, after 12, I want to stop there. Yeah. Look, after 12, it was just constant. I, I would go to my friend's house. Mm-hmm. Hey, look, we're going to go. I'll film you just sitting on your porch. That's it. Yeah. Okay, so once I submitted the, it's kind of long story how I got into school. Yeah, but you know, once I submitted the film, the footage to the station, uh, and, and I watched how they they basically cut it so that you know that overlay voiceover, you know, someone narrating. I kind of and then I we we had a DR back then. DVR before that, it was like an RCA mm. box. Yeah. But you can actually record what was basically screenshot. You're, you're you're recording your video screen. Mm-hmm. So you're yeah, you're backing up on your TV. Yeah. So we recorded that new and uh eventually we went we ended up asking the new thing for a copy of it so we have a better quality version of it. That's a newsreel and we just watched it every single day. Mm-hmm. And then so I wanted to recreate that news. Yeah. It goes into another story about Armageddon. I'll tell you that one here in a second. But I wanted to recreate, recreate the news reel. And once I started, I really into editing. Back then, it was like Windows Movie Maker. Yeah. It yeah. was like this version of it. It was like that. And so I basically, I took out. Okay, let's, I started to edit it. I never finished. But I started to cut things around to change the story. Yeah, I was never successful at it, so I was kind of moving on. Was it because you got I frustrated said, yeah, with Windows Movie Maker? <laughs> was it because you got frustrated? Yeah, with it? yeah. It, it was not only that. It, today we got press S. You project to save. Yeah, back back then it was like I had to back it up, and I it another But no, so 
Uh, never finished that, but it kind of the story format. So uh, then, you know, inviting my friends over, hey, I'm filming. Uh, tell my sister to walk down the steps, just film walking down the steps. Kind of put stories together. So, you know, fast forward, uh, the movie Armageddon. I don't know if you remember this movie, Armageddon. Yeah. Uh, Great movie. Yeah, 1995. This time, it's been out for a while. So yeah. just watching it over. Where my brother decided he wanted to reshoot and scene for scene, and including all of scenes. Yeah. You know, we that. So, you know, just wanted to get this shot. Now, later we found out about copyright law and all of that. Later in life, and nothing ever happened to this movie. It's probably still some TV in the mom's basement. Yeah. But, um, so we filmed the whole movie. And we're just filming on tape, so we start immediately set for the next scene and press, continue to press record on the camera. Everything. Yeah. We go back to an original scene, we would direct to go back to that. It took us like, oh, dude, it took us like two months. And as kids, like, that's been like forever. Our goal was to get it done. I'll never Free film, uh, you know, Armageddon. That was a huge for me. And I say we because it was like me and a brother. We all collabed on it. My other brother. Yeah. So, but I feel like I did most of the work. They did <laughs> but anyway, story. So, and that kind of goes into Vegas Social and yeah. other shows. But, um, but yes, I forget the age. But uh, once I got into high school, yeah, it all began. So you know, I wasn't huge into playing football. Mm-hmm. Like that. I, was, I was a photographer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of just like I was 15. Uh, but I'm still diving in and out of the field. But now, you know, 15, girl, high school, you yeah. know, that whole So, uh, you know, but photography was a class. High school. Oh man, you're lucky. And um, I applied for the photography class. I didn't get it. Oh, didn't get in. Well, at least you have photography class. They school. only accept like ten people. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, and, and then they, that photography class also in the school newspaper. Mm. Uh, so that, but I'm glad. I'll, I'll tell you why. I'm glad that they didn't accept me because photography just is my thing. And I feel like if I got into that class, yeah. Into, you know, the photography. I already got a background in news, in news yeah. already. You know, yeah. just technically, I already have background in news. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so the uh, but that's that's another moment where I felt like, wow, I've been doing this my whole life, and I can't get into that class. This is yeah. nice. So it's no big deal because remember, girls stars. Yeah. Parties and priorities are different in high school. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, there's other plenty of other distractions. So through high school, you know, I get into theater arts, uh, in the stage plays, mm-hmm. entertainment. You know, yeah, I think that was entertainment related. I, I went to a prep school, so that wasn't necessarily a uh, arts focused school. It was yeah. 
prepping you for for college, yeah. and that's another story. But there's a prep school, so uh, you know their their focus were the core math, reading, you know. So, uh, but the, so every program that my high school offered, Kingsbury High School, by the way, go Colts. Uh, the um, and this Fayetteville, North Carolina, by the way. Okay. So my mom moved us from Philadelphia, you mentioned earlier, to Fayetteville, North Carolina, and that's where we kind of grew up as teens. But you know, so, yeah, face uh, Cape Fear High School, Fayetteville. Um, so in the stage plays, first stage play I did. Okay, this is so funny. Yeah, I gotta tell this story. So, uh, well, okay, this is the first stage play I did where my mom actually came. From, right? Nice. And you know, growing up, she's pushing towards the arts, pushing towards the arts. Yeah. Uh, especially video. Uh, you know, so she she says, you know what, I'm off this day. I'll come to the stage play. Yeah. Now, uh, the stage play, it was, I was playing one of the guards. Yeah, I forgot the the story. We've done I've got that particular story, but I do remember I was playing one of the cards and I only had like one of the opening intro scenes. Yeah. So for the rest of the play, I was done basically. Yeah. And it, I had speaking like the whole nine, uh, but there was a sheep that was in the story. Mm. And the sheep, the guy that played the sheep, he didn't show. And I was out for the rest of that story. So I was like, you know what? Be the sheep. What? <laughs> hey, wait, wait, no. wait, David, so, David, David. Hold on, hold on. You said you're not an actor. You are an actor. Don't lie to me. <laughs> so listen, listen. So, uh, so I had to, be the, I had to get the cotton through my face. Yeah. And you know, cotton suit, hot and sweaty. And the only line the sheep had was, "Bah." <laughs> so. So, and I think I'm a comedian too, because we'll get into that a little bit more. But, uh, but yeah, so the whole, every time I said, ah, yeah. the crowd went nuts every single time. They're <laughs> laughing, my mom's in the crowd. Yeah. They're laughing. I'm like, wow, I think this acting thing is definitely for me. Yeah. Uh, but fast forward, you know, many, many years later, uh, you know, out of high school, and now, you know, I get into film school. Mm-hmm. My mom kind of pushed me into film school. I had, you know, other options. Yeah. Um, but film school, uh, you know, that experience for me was, again, this is college, so, in party, mm-hmm. but, but, you know, overall, you know, that's where I got into the, the fundamentals of filmmaking. Yeah. Um, the, what's law, what's not yeah. know, law. Things that you should do, should that's what the college experience is yeah. mainly for the for the filmmaking. And uh, you know, we've done so many projects. One of the earlier projects I did was, uh, and she's going to kill me for saying this, but every project that my wife is in, and I met well, my wife in film school. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, I met her while I was in. Yeah. I, I picked up a second job at T-Mobile. I uh, she came in as a customer. The rest was history, but uh, but no, Wonderful. one of my projects in films, it uh, it was like a two minute challenge. And, uh, everybody that goes through film school, you it doesn't matter which film school you went to, yeah, you have to do this two minute challenge, right? A two minute challenge, well, to preface, 
what I was saying earlier, every time that I put my wife, she basically dies. It's like a running joke. Your poor wife. Or she plays some type of character. No, no, she's traumatized by it, but you know, but she's she's a good sport, yeah, yeah. you know, and I can put her in a car that we're gonna flip over, yeah. Which you know, the next we're filming a movie where she's in a car and it flips over. <laughs> so yeah, but up until twelve years later, we're still together. I'm still killing her off, but 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 no. So um, you know, she's always been a good sport, but she yeah. was my number one actress, you know, coming up through film school, and also. Living in LA and going to film school in LA, mm. uh, something else that they recommend you do was sign up to be a background actor, which yeah. most of the people out there would know about. If you're in this business, more than likely you are probably at one point or the other, you know, mixed up in the background acting scene. Yeah. You know, even, you know, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, mm. you know, the list goes on and on. Um, so the, they recommended that we basically, you know, sign up for a background acting. So, you know, that's kind of where I get the acting, you know, kind of the acting bug. Yeah. But my spirit has always been behind the camera. Yeah. And whenever I can avoid it, I try to stay behind the camera. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, you have directors like Ben Affleck, yeah. who's behind the camera and then he's in front of the camera. Yeah. So it does work. But me mainly, I'm focused on you know trying to stay behind that camera because I think personally, I think the visual before you when you come up with a story, you write a story, mm -hmm. then you have to get that story filmed, yeah. right? But without the film, without getting story filmed, your story will probably make it, never make it past the script unless you develop it into a book. Yeah, then that's another way for people to consume it. Yeah, but consumers. They won't consume mass consumer script, yeah. right? Unless it's like for Titanic or something. Yeah. But they mass consumer script. You have to get it into a video form for the customer or the uh, consumers yeah. um, to digest it. Yeah. Digesting words is harder than digesting video, and that's unfortunately is true yeah. for across the board. That's why video is consuming at a higher rate. You got bookstores moving all over the place. Mm. Netflix isn't going anywhere. Yeah. Hulu isn't going anywhere. Disney Plus. Uh, movie theaters aren't actually going anywhere. Yeah. Because they're, they're urged to consume that video content. You could you could sit here and watch videos all day long. But have you ever tried to read a book all day long? What happens to your brain and what happens when you start to read all of those words? Have you ever tried that? Yeah, in your adult age, I'm sure when you were a kid, you probably read The Hobbit all day. But is it common for you to watch video all day no. or to read all day long? Uh, watch video all day. That's the exactly. obvious answer. Yeah. Or, so, or I do like I do like an audio book. I do like an audio book though. I could listen to that all day long. If it's good oh, okay. Yeah. No audio. Audio yeah. for sure. You know, one hundred percent audio. Um, but comparison comparing your script to yeah. the actual video oh, yeah, form definitely. of the script. Everybody's going to go and watch the video versus. So my point is getting behind that camera and understanding the camera. Mm. My goal was to make sure that I only appear, my wife, the actors I work with, mm. you know, my family, they only appear in mainstream media with the highest quality. Yeah. And that has, you know, I can't 
necessarily at this stage, I can't necessarily become a Ben Affleck and be in front of the camera and trust somebody behind the camera as well. Um, you know, obviously, I can hire Ben. Uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, I can't believe I forgot. Oh my god, I hate myself. Michael Bay. That's just, that's another story. One of my biggest inspirations in this business is Michael Bay. Okay. Um, you know, he does background for all of his movies. I don't yeah. know if you know that about. Yeah, do, Michael yeah. Bay, he'll, he'll be like a background actor in this movie, and then he'll also be behind the camera directing it. Yeah. So there's so many people um, that inspire me to constantly produce content, mm-hmm. and if I need to, I'll step in front of the camera. Yeah. Sort of like the Michael Bay way of doing things. Hitchcock did that too. The Hitchcock did yeah. that as well. So versus Ben Affleck, where Ben Affleck is like the star of his yeah. own movie mm-hmm. of like end of his own movies yeah i won't go that far with it because i definitely appreciate the people that are actors that yeah. study that craft every single day they need to be paid properly you know or paid at all yeah. you know minimum you know you you make sure you know they they got some type of finance and some type of food in their pocket yeah you know that and actors you know just coming up in the business you know they get it rough man. yeah me being a producer you know, anything, any idea that I come up with is going to shoot. Recently, I started doing commercial, you know, Cheerios. Mm-hmm. You know, we do, we've done four commercial, uh, Charmin, uh, Doritos. All right, so I got a story about Doritos. Okay. How it implements into my life as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. So right out of film school, I, I don't know if you knew, but maybe 10 years ago, Doritos just how long I've been out of film school. So, yeah. But so, so eight years ago, Doritos used to hold yearly contests yeah, for, the for it's called Cash the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. So of course, you know, being a brand new filmmaker, we're going to film some current Crash the Super Bowl commercials. Yeah. Along with other things, but that's how it got started commercial. Mm-hmm. So it took us a full day to film the commercial. It's on YouTube. I forgot the name. It's called Girlfriend. Yeah. And there's another version called Boyfriend. Uh, but if you type in Crash the Super Bowl Boyfriend or Girlfriend, it'll pop up. But yeah. basically, it was this guy on a motorcycle. Uh, he was driving past. Then it, it camera passed over to a girl getting out of the car with a, a bag in her hand. Mm-hmm. And she drops the bag of Doritos out of her bag. The guy driving on the motorcycle, he sees... That she dropped the bag of burritos or Doritos, and so he started doing donuts in the street. He started doing wheelies. Yeah, it didn't make sense, but he started doing donuts in the street. Yeah. Doing wheelies, going fast, and it, it looks uh, she she doesn't see him. She looks as he's doing that, and then she turns away and keeps on walking into her house. Yeah, get out. He um, knocks on the door. He tells her, "Hey, you dropped your bag of Doritos." And she answers. She kisses him on the cheek, and cut. Yeah. Well, he, she kisses him on the cheek, then she pulls him inside the house, and then they're on the couch together, you know, enjoying some Doritos, watching yeah. TV. Super stupid. Then the other version was boyfriend. Yeah. The boyfriend was, you know, he, you know, she drops the bag, he does the wheelies, doesn't get his her attention. She goes in the house, he picks up the bag, he comes knock on the door. Instead of her answering the door, her boyfriend answers the door, like a muscle bound guy. Yeah. And then, uh, 
he still ends up inside the house, but yeah. this time it's the girl on one side and the boyfriend on the other side, and he's in the middle. Yeah, being Dorit. super stupid. I I did one. We didn't actually. win, but you know. So, uh, but one of my partners, he actually got close. I yeah. think he even won it. Um, but uh, it was a Doritos commercial where uh, the guy he's on he wants to take the lady out on the date, and then the son comes and he slaps the guy. And says, don't touch my mom. Don't touch my Doritos. It was pretty. It went viral, actually. Oh yeah. So I uh, that, that was actually. big for our our little group. Yeah. But um. But yeah. So, but the uh, crash road. That was my introduction to, you know, the paperwork of commercials. Yeah. How commercials work. Um. You know the the workflow as far as filming it. Yeah. And also how spec commercials work. So. Uh, basically, what we were all doing, and Doritos explains this in the contract, is a spec. So you'll do the commercial for free, and then if Doritos happen to like it, then they'll they'll pick it up, yeah. and then they'll pay you. Yeah, it's simple. And you only want a spec for like big companies like Coca-Cola. these guys. Yeah. Oh, Coca Cola! I didn't know if we could mention it, but like Coca Cola, yeah. you do a you do a spec commercial, put it on a rotating table, or add some sprinkles into it. Yeah. Add some fun action into it, maybe a beach scene or whatever. Submit it to Coca Cola as a spec. Yes, it's unlisted, unsolicited, but that's usually how commercials work. Mm. Uh, with with uh, production studios like Warner Brothers, they they have their agent system set up. We can talk about that later. Mm. But for spec, you know, unless that company is working with an agency, everything is going to be spec. Gotcha. Right. So even, even though that they work with are sending them proof of concept technically specs and then the company will say okay we'll pay you 50 grand or 80 grand or yeah. whatever the case may be but uh going into that crash the super bowl as a spec producer it was like a whole new awakening for me mm-hmm. so i started to grab you know cheerio box uh, at the time we got a brand new jeep wrangler yeah um you know every new camera and then YouTube started to really blow up after yeah. that. But I wanted to stick in the commercial spec world because YouTube, yeah, these guys were making a hundred dollars, two hundred dollars a month. The commercial spec world, you know, we're making fifty dollars off of a thousand dollar production. Yeah, you know, we're making or not fifty dollars, fifty thousand dollars off of a, you know, or, or five thousand. You know, yeah. numbers were a lot larger in the commercial spec world, so I kind of stuck on that realm of things versus going to YouTube. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's obviously millions and millions of viewer, views on YouTube and yeah. viewers, but YouTube was never really in my particular, mm-hmm. um, you know, trajectory and, of things yeah. other than you know, uploading things to archive it there, yeah. you know, to back content, uh, maybe show a client my production reel. Yeah, yeah. So I never went in that way. I kind of stick stuck to commercial. Um, and this was, you know, 2013, 2014. Uh, and, and moving up the commercial ladder, again, I got to work with some huge brands. Yeah. But even that, you know, even the commercial business kind of stifles you a little bit. So in about maybe 2015, 2016, that's that's kind of when I moved into music video. Okay. Uh, you know, and then I ended up not, yeah, done a few music videos, maybe 10 yeah. maybe or less. Um, 
and, and there were good, really good music videos yeah. over the years from 2015 to about 2017 or 2018. Yeah. It's when I really got heavy into music videos. And, you know, we had the fires, the cars, yeah. uh, you know, trains. Um, but but the storytelling, you know, it wasn't necessarily there for me. Like, mm-hmm. with a music video, the process of filming a music video, the story's already told in the song. Yeah. And all I'm doing is basically interpreting that song into a visual compilation, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So I had no real control over the story mm-hmm. unless it was visually and visually it was always still an adaptation of what that song was yeah so the song was about you know i don't know being in love yeah. more likely the video is going to relate to being in love right yeah. so, so that's where the story beginning always I would never felt secure because the story story would come from all many different types of direction yeah one of the stories i filmed uh, the guy killed himself, right? I had no control over what to show. Yeah. At the end of the song, the guy jumped off a bridge. Jesus. And the, throughout the whole video, or he jumped off a cliff, throughout the whole video, he's like basically falling and he's singing to the camera. It's okay. yeah. so crazy. He's falling. It's, you don't is have a clue. A, if you're out there, you're fine. Is that a rip It's not the same thing as the uh, whatever you say I am video from Eminem, basically? That's. that's- uh, so Eminem, uh, Kendrick Lamar filmed one too. So this concept has yeah. been used multiple times in yeah. music videos. So it's not like unique to us, but that was the, my point was it's like yeah. this guy was killing himself, right? Yeah. And I had no control over that story. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other music videos I filmed, uh, it was kind of like, uh, like, like a bunch of like, Gang signs being yeah. thrown up in the video and guns and and I kind of sat back and thought like you know what I kind of don't want to be connected to um you know it's just this heartache you know yeah being being a like powerless to whatever that person wrote right yeah so I would listen to a song initially mm-hmm. and then you know you may miss something. Yeah. You know, you miss something in that song. I mean, you're not going to catch it word for word. But then when you go back to post-production on the music video, you mm. hear, you know, what the words are actually saying. And then it's yeah. like, wait a minute. The- I had no clue that this was talking about that. Yeah. Then, but the overall point is you had no control over the direction. Mm. And then, you know, if the video got, you know, pretty bad reviews, like let's say you did a music video for a cult leader who made a song about, you know, accepting people into the cult. Yeah. You you kind of don't want to be connected to that. Yeah, yeah. So not in a music video like that. I just didn't want a situation like that to arrive. Yeah. So, and I have to turn somebody down. So I departed from the music video world. Yeah. But the music video that I mentioned earlier, if you guys are doing any research, it's called You Don't Have a Clue by Sean Summerlin. It's uh, all over the internet. So I'm pretty sure you guys can find it somewhere. Uh, and this was about maybe four or five years ago, like 2015. And uh, but uh, so 2017, I kind of grew out of music videos. And, and I said, you know what? Uh-huh. I'll say one more thing, too, about music videos that I always found uh, a pain in the butt cheeks is like you have a vision of what this, how you think the song goes. And the client's like, no, no, this is how I want to do the video. I'm like, are you sure? Because I'm pretty sure what I'm telling you is like 20 times yeah. better than what you want. 
to do. Yeah. yeah. So that was that was like one of the largest problems. And and also, you know, if you're working with a artist from the studio or even an artist independently, uh, the budget's usually that high. They just aren't. It's nothing, you know, anybody can do about it. It's just studios are giving out a $100,000 million budget. Yeah. In fact, they'll give out, you know, 10 grand, yeah. you know, and then the artist will only use two of it for the actual music. Yeah. And even that too, oh, like, and, oh, I was gonna say one more thing. To, sorry to cut you off, but I was gonna say I, I actually internshiped at Atlantic Records in the city in New York uh, when I lived in Jersey, and I remember you know in the video department, I was doing a lot of like logging and stuff, so it wasn't like the actual video production part of it. But we, I remember getting specs and specs of like people trying to do music videos or something, and like they're just the artist outlines of what they're gonna do, and I'm like going through them. And it was kind of crazy of like what. What, uh, yeah, like I'm like, oh, shit. I, I, and then you just see it, like, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the music video. Oh, shit, this is crazy. So it was, it was pretty cool, yeah, to throw you know, there. yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a pretty lengthy process, yeah, and, but you know, the the length and the process didn't necessarily change over the last 20 years. Yeah, the only thing that changed was the value that these companies are putting into music, video. yeah, because now everything is consumed every second, yeah, right after this. You know, your your listeners, you know, are probably gonna, you know, you know, either search for me or, or look for some videos yeah. out there, me or even you, uh, but they're gonna go back to consuming the the video content. So yeah. no matter what, even after you film the music video, the audience is gonna go back to whatever the next music video is playing, right? Yeah. So then that audience member just you know, they got they fit perfectly into YouTube's algorithm, but as individual artists. You know, the audience is designed to watch your content and scroll on to somebody yep. completely different from yourself. Yeah. And, you know, you'll get a, you know, um, you know, Kanye West music video. Right below that, you'll get a Taylor Swift music video. Right below that, you'll get an Ariana Grande. So, you know, the, the it's like an endless carousel of content that we all kind of have to make sure we kind of stick, stick in with. Yeah. Gotcha. Also, I had another question. I have uh, two questions for you. Uh, this might kind of blend into you where you are now, too. But did you have did your favorite directors change at all from college to where you are now? And did your favorite cinematographer? What were uh, what are some of your favorite cinematographers yes. as well? Like who inspired yes. you? Yes. I, so I would. Okay, let let's talk about figures because everybody that I'm going to mention are just all producers in mm. some way or another, right? Yeah. Let's talk about producers. Michael Bay, Roger Deakins is a cinematographer, but we're going to talk about guys as producers, right? Because yeah. they're they're really, you know, every step of the way. Yeah, It's just that they're the big name mm. on the... But, uh, but Michael Bay, Michael Bay, you know, recently it's Roger Deakins, but before Roger Deakins, it was Quentin. Yeah. And I'll tell you what. Michael Bay, you know, obviously his movies was the number one in theaters for a long time. Yeah. You know, the Armageddon, the movie we recreated or repurposed. Yeah. Uh, you know, then he came out with the Transformers sequels, and then that led into 10, 8, 9, 10 Transformers yeah. movies or iterations. 
And, you know, a huge, huge, you know, much respect to him. You know, I've, I actually met him once in LA. And, you know, it was kind of like you that table and we went up to him. Hey, you know, yeah. That, that's kind of the story. But, um, but yeah, you know, he gave us some really good conversations, really good notes. And just right there on the fly, you can learn so much. And that goes back into something I mentioned. Um, I'm going to want to mention later, but. But yeah, so and then after that, he just had a huge impact. So just watching him over the years, mm. uh, you know, keeping my content activist, right? Yeah. For a long time, I kept my content activist. About 2017, I filmed, yeah, I filmed the documentary. Uh, you know, it, it got all over the place. Uh, you know, again, we licensed it everywhere. It was a travesty what they did. But the, the documentary is called taking the curve right so I was hired by a producer to film this documentary mm -hmm. uh taking the curve and the documentary was about a hot button topic it's about the whole flat earth yeah you know, topic right hot topic. and uh it was a major hot topic documentary, had a bunch of interviews and we got placement all over the place you name it we got placement there. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, Netflix does a ban on conspiracy theory documentaries. Yeah. And Hulu does a ban on conspiracy theory documentaries. And Netflix or uh, Amazon Prime and YouTube and everybody just kind of, you know, and then I, I'm not sure if a lot of you guys heard about the Alex Jones. He got, you know, a lot of platforms. But then, yeah. For some reason, started to basically silence those conspiracy theory. You know, now I'm not necessarily a conspiracy theorist, mm -hmm. but you know, the people, the hardworking people that worked on these productions that had nothing to do with the topic of the yeah. You know, a lot of TV shows you see at the bottom it says, you know, the the views expressed here are not. You know, yeah, we had that in our document. Yeah, most. Of the other documentaries had it, but the other stuff is starting to go purge all of that work. So that kind of woke me up to one about how what topics and how it could drastically change, yeah. you know, uh, an entire production, entire production schedule, and entire production release. Mm -hmm. and, and also, two is the power that all of those companies have. If they feel like something is being, uh, a conspiracy, you know, they can shut you, shut you off. I get it, you know, they're the big town. You know, it kind of did wake me up to. Uh, I kind of felt powerless, you yeah. know, in a sense. I, I kind of felt like uh, it, it let us down. Mm -hmm. So, uh, with me personally, I kind of started to work more toward, uh, you know, uh, I guess not as known. Subscription pay just the same amounts. Yeah, uh, but I, you know, so recently I started to do a lot of business with like TV. Uh, you know, I'm sure you heard about Tubi. Yep, Tubi. Um, so I, I started to go that direction more yeah. because when they purchased my content, and they didn't purchase all of my shows. I got these shows all over the place. Yeah, but that particular piece of content. It's like they silenced the voice of the creators in that content. Yeah. In that particular documentary, you know, the producer of the documentary, he was pretty about 
of it. Um, you know, it's, it's just, you know, you can see the power, you know, and what they could do, you know, like, you know, they could wreak havoc on a lot of production mm-hmm. sets. Luckily, you know, I'm in the business of producing content for writers, so my business will always But to see the sad faces on the crew yeah. and the other producers that actually wanted to see the documentary explode, which is, was on its way to exploding, you can still find a trailer out there somewhere, but yeah, it's just you know. Since then, I kind of stayed away from those those main uh, mainstream brands, yeah. just because I, you know, at the flick of a switch, they just turn your entire lights out yeah. and um, silence your voice. Which you know, it, it's a gift and a curse. I get it, but um, you know what they did with that particular production, I wasn't too happy about. Yeah, but also I. Want to mention? You know uh, that didn't stop uh, immediately from wanting to produce. I'm not completely shut out from those markets. I'm just going to stay away from them just until you know, I establish my place yeah. in the industry. Uh, you know, uh, in a in a proper way versus being known for oh, that documentary. It's already a hot button topic, and there's plenty of the flat earth idea um but you know to give the people that don't believe in flat earth to give them a reason to believe and say yes yeah, told you that this stuff isn't that that was basically like a travesty on what they do to yeah. production like mine and you know, other producers out there. yeah it, it was just you know a sad time especially for people like alex jones you know yeah who, who just you know expressing his Amendment to you know speak yeah. to you know his opinion. So you know, but the silence that is shown that they have more control and a lot more control than we do. Yeah. I'd rather kind of step away from that just now until I find uh, you know a better a better way at engaging. So so recently though, I'm going to movies. Uh, we just filmed a Christmas movie. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk more about that. Yeah. Uh, but again, going back to that 2017 music videos, I started getting into documentaries. Um, so documentaries were pretty good. I actually still film documentaries today. Yeah. The only two that I found with documentaries is in the Netflix thing where they can wipe your project out. It's not even bad or not. And also with documentaries, there's no financing. It's extremely fine financing for a documentary. Yeah. And I'll tell you why. Because documentaries, documentaries has turned into the genre itself. Mm. You know, so it doesn't matter if you're watching a space documentary or a crime documentary. They're going to kind of bunch all documentaries up under documentary. Yeah. yeah. So that doesn't. And, the reason why movies sell, in my opinion, is because you have genres of yeah. movies, right? You have genres of documentaries, but let's keep it real. You go to Netflix, click on documentary, you're going to see a whole bunch of just everything. Yeah. Same thing with movies, probably. But I feel like the movies, you know, people take a little bit more seriously. Yeah. They go through the whole ordeal with the flat earth documentary. Yeah. Yeah. I was able to see, like, okay, well, documentaries are so 
solely based on opinion mm. because the person that's in the documentary, narrator, or whatever the case may be, their opinion or facts about whatever the topic is, right? Mm. And the audience feels that since from a place of opinion, the audience feels like they give their opinion and and they'll try to blow up you. And this is Could it's it's a higher chance that people could get lost in the story and then they'll give you feedback on the story. Yeah, that's what I found out. So you know, if you have two characters that fall in love in the movie, the feedback will always be, "Well, you know, I didn't like this character. I didn't like the way he how he interacted, or yeah. you know, Sarah didn't have to cheat on her husband." So the the feedback has actually been about the stories, and I yeah. like that. Whereas again, documentaries, the feedback will be about, you know, whatever the the, the guy who made that, um, the inconvenient truth. Yeah, uh, right. Michael Moore became more famous than the documentary. Mm. I know who Michael Moore is because everybody is hated on Michael Moore for that documentary. Yeah, and he also filmed a documentary called uh, Bowling for Columbine. It was reversed. Oh yeah, Columbine. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? Bowling bowling for Columbine, I believe. Bowling for Columbine. Yeah. So so that's when Mike Moore kind of exploded, right? Yeah. I feel like with documentaries, people people feel like they can give you their honest opinion about so Mike Moore became the story. He loved it, of course. Yeah. But yeah, that's what documentaries kind of do. They Focus back on the creators of the documentary yeah. versus the story that we're presenting in the documentary. Which, you know, it's not the audience's fault. It's just the way they've been brought yeah. up into it. But uh, with movies, I feel like when you put together a good story in mm-hmm. a movie, let's say the movie was about the flat earth, right? Yeah. And there was a character named John in the movie, and he's, you know, kind of, let's say he took over the world and like, hey, the earth was flat, and the world started to leave the earth was flat. Now, for that movie, I've seen it happen time again. The audience will critique the character. Yeah. Like, oh, he's not a real character anyway, or uh, the earth is that character, whatever yeah. the case may be. They don't really go after the filmmakers much. There are situations where the audience will dogpile the filmmaker, yeah. but I feel like majority of the time, are based off of the character of the story, yeah. Versus the filmmakers and the makeup artists and mm-hmm. you know whoever else acts with it. So that's kind of has been my transition for documentary. Yeah, and I still film them today, just not as much as I did in the past. Yeah, and also a question. I mean, you said it was hard to, uh, you know. I think you said it was something about uh, hard to get financed for a documentary. Do you, uh, did you do grants? Was it tough for the grants as well to get those for documentaries? Is it so? Yeah, for a flat Earth documentary, yes. I did do a 
Halloween documentary. Mm-hmm. You got grants. Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that up. So I did a Halloween documentary called Chase. It's out there on every place, but look for it. I'm sure if you type in Chase, David S. Walmack, you'll see the documentary pop up. There's Sorry, trailers for it. Chase or night, Cheat? Case. Chase. Okay, sorry. C-H-A-S-E. Chase. Gotcha. So, documentary called Chase, it was about bullying. Like, you did Chase through the playground. Yeah. Chase. That's where it's going. It's about bullying. It's about classroom bullying. This young girl tells a story about how she got bullied. And, you know, bullying is another hot-button topic. Well, you know, that girl's a bully herself. Mm. Like, just by listening to the girl's story, yeah. people think that she's the bully. It's just so crazy. But anyway, so since it was a bullying topic to bring awareness to the bullying, mm-hmm. uh, we got grants, we got promotion, we got promotion, we got promoted on Fox News. Yeah, you know, but, um, you know, we did radio interviews, the whole nine, uh, and we actually got funding for it. Mm-hmm. Now since. Uh, we decided to go the nonprofit route. Yeah, that particular production, we did. We forwarded it, the grants on charities. I think the family started a charity. We forwarded it, you know, along with the charities. Yeah, but uh, but you know, definitely the topics that you choose, just pay attention to that topic because that'll be the driving force actually looking for funding and help getting it funded. Yeah. But prior to us actually producing it, it was already fully funded prior to shooting it. Gotcha. So once it's, and after a shot, then, you know, pitching it all around to network, they were all like, hmm, yeah, it's a documentary. Yeah, no. Hmm. But getting it placement, you know, at, at for basically for free, basically, yeah. at, with no license everybody can accept it. But to actually make, you know, you can make documentaries all day, but to make a serious profit, you have to, you know, drop some type of controversy behind it. Yeah. Hence, Michael Moore, who's a documentary about Columbine, yeah. and then the second, another documentary is about the World Trade Center. Yeah. He picks huge hot-button topics, yeah. especially immediately, almost after the incident has happened. So, you know, he was able to get into the business that way. But, you know, if you're coming if you're coming up in the documentary business, just know that marketing that documentary is going to be one of the largest parts of getting that documentary out there. Yeah. Again, I still film documentaries today, but with stories and curated stories and scripted stories, we have more control over where we want the audience to go. Yeah. I don't want the audience to always... Again, go back to Michael Moore. I don't want the audience to always kind of attack the filmmaker. Yeah. I don't want the audience to always attack my film. Yeah. You know, I, I want to make some family content. I want to make content for you know, women. I want to make content for men. Mm-hmm. I want to make content for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So black men, white men, wherever you want to go, you know, I want to make content. Yeah. So it doesn't. It doesn't necessarily. It doesn't necessarily like kind of pitch into you know looking for the next hot button topic. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I understand what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, movies kind of go that direction sometimes, mm. but you can create stories. You know, original stories are created all the time. Yeah. Where documentaries, you make a documentary about an original story, 
I can't really think of a major documentary where the original story was the topic. Yeah. Uh, there's always an underlying news story that's basis of documentaries usually. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to like um, there was a documentary a few years ago about like the killer whale. Yeah, I think and or, or something like that. Black, uh, yeah, black something or so other, right? The, that made it newsworthy because one of the whales killed the trainer. Yeah, everybody talking about it. Let's make a documentary. Yeah, when you're certain situations like that, that's the best way of going about documentary. Mm-hmm. But me personally, I'd rather not have to deal with you know the constant because you're gonna get two people watching the documentary every yeah. day, yeah. so the reviews are never gonna stop coming in. Yeah. So I just wanted to stay away from that kind of toxic, mm. almost toxic kind of field situation where, you know, Chase, you feel Chase almost five years ago. Mm. And I don't need to necessarily hear about it, you know, today or even chasing the curve. Yeah. Three years ago. I don't want to hear about that, you know, how disgusted they are with me. I'd rather not. That's yeah. another reason why I kind of shifted away from reality shows. Yeah. Same thing. You know, they don't necessarily if if they don't if they can't buy into the character, yeah, they're gonna automatically blame the production. They're gonna say, well, I don't believe this character because whatever production, like they yeah. didn't use the right cameras. Granted, for Vegas Social, I did use DSLRs, mm-hmm. but this was three years ago. And it, so basically I, like I told you, when you're loving hip hop set, yeah, more cameras, yeah, and when you're filming in reality, all of the cameras have to have. So we couldn't afford you know, four RA cameras, yeah, and four black magic earth cameras, yeah. Um, but we, what we could afford were, were the five, yeah, three, four years ago, mm-hmm. uh, where the five Ds were really big. So we yeah. couldn't afford four five Ds. So we shot it all in DSLRs. Uh, you know, it it was a train wreck. You know, of course. Why was it it's a train wreck? Closer, you know, oh. Huh? I was saying, why was it a train wreck? Okay, filming with DSLRs. The batteries doesn't last too long. Yeah. <laughs> Memory cards will fill up on you. That's true too. Uh, the camera will overheat. Very true. Uh, you know, when whenever you're not dealing with a stabilizer, you will have shaky footage. Yep. Uh, one of those cameras fall, they're going to break. Yep. Something's going to tip off of it. Uh, they need to be, they need to be, uh, unless you have extra batteries, you kind of have to keep it close to a wall charger if yeah. you're going to use it long term. So mix all of that up with an un- unpredictable cast. Yeah. You don't know what they're going to say. You know, we're all recording from different angles, but, you know, we all start recording at the same time. Yeah. So generally, all of our batteries would die at the same time. Well, that's good at least, right? Extra battery. Yeah. And only two of us would have the extra battery because the fourth battery went out because yeah. it, it ran out of juice. Not because it was used, but just because it ran out of juice and decided to run out of juice. Yeah. So, and then they, these kind of things will happen constantly. And the sound engineer, you know, one day he shows up, next day he does it. Okay, now we need lapel mics. Yeah. We need batteries for the lapel mics. Yeah. So by just filming a TV show over, I think it's it summer, so for about three months, yeah. uh, 
it, it was it yeah, I guess it wasn't a train wreck, but it's, it's not it's not easy. Yeah. Okay. It's a lot of running around, a lot of rewriting, a lot of revising scripts, mm-hmm. a lot of changing characters, uh, you know, tons and tons of footage. Yeah. Uh, but but ne- next time around, I'm definitely gonna use all of those pros. We're gonna use four of those. We're gonna use uh boom mics along with lapel mic. We're just gonna do it a whole different way. Yeah. I've learned so much in yeah. that production. Actually, we filmed another show. Mm. It's called Blunt Talk. And yes. Blunt Talk is on a channel called Cannabis TV. Uh, basically, there's a trailer out there somewhere. And if you're not signed up to Blunt Talk TV, you probably won't see it. Mm. But um, it's basically celebrities, influencers talking to the camera, smoking a joint. While talking about topics like sex, relationships, yeah, um, you know, um, dating, just random topics, right? Six episodes, so it's really short. It's pretty watchable, but um, but what filming that we kind of got that film all in one day, yeah. And everything I learned from Vegas Social, I was able to apply it for that production so that we can get it filmed. Well, actually, it was more like a couple days, but got it filmed in a lot less time than what it took for us to film Vegas Social. Mm-hmm. And remember, keep in mind, this is all pre-COVID. I didn't yeah. think I could film Vegas Social during COVID. Like, no way. Yeah. We had nightclub scenes. Yeah, yeah. We had, you know, uh, playhouse scenes, art scenes. Oh, man. Yeah. The, the world has changed, and that kind of brings up another topic, man, is COVID. Yeah. As a filmmaker, I personally don't feel like COVID has Stop production for me mm-hmm. because I'm so used to going on hiatus for three months that yeah. you know going into quarantine was like oh now I just gotta film inside yeah okay <laughs> so we started to produce a lot with my kids they have a YouTube show nice uh, it's for kids so you know kids let kids have fun with that um, so we got to producing the, the uh, TV show for the kids. Uh, it just made, it gave me a lot more time to uh, really build up, like reestablish connections I had. Yeah. So, you know, calling actors, calling producers, getting involved with them, tapping their brains, you know, uh, what they've been doing. Yeah. You know, getting them excited to, when things open back up, getting them excited to go back out and do some more. Yeah. And also, that's, that kind of leads me into this app called Clubhouse. Mm. Clubhouse, it has this group where it's nothing but videographers, directors, producers, you know, from the highest level all the way down to the lowest level. Uh, it's where we all can basically come and talk about ideas. This app blew up over quarantine. Mm. It was actually, I think it was developed in March, and then it opened up for creators to yeah. come to a place where we can all talk about production, exchange ideas. But, you know, so, so, but other than that, quarantine really didn't slow anything. It just kind of postponed a yeah. lot of things for us. But now that things are starting to go back open up, open up to a Christmas movie. Mm-hmm. What was that like? What I learned about, yeah. you know, movie is that if you don't have snow in your Christmas movie, <laughs> it's not a Christmas movie. Okay. I don't care if you want to say, well, you know, Die Hard was a Christmas movie. 
Yeah, Die Hard had a wide shot where there were snow and rooftops. Nobody really remembers that, but Die Hard actually didn't have snow, which kind of confirmed it being a Christmas movie. But if you don't have snow in your Christmas movie, it's not a Christmas movie. So I live in Vegas where, you know, it's 78 degrees. Recently started to be fifty. Wait, 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 wait! never really. Lethal Weapon's a Christmas movie, and that doesn't have snow. Ah, uh, you may want to re rewatch that movie because uh, if they're calling it a Christmas movie and there's still snow in it, that's a problem. But no, no, you can literally Google what are the elements for a Christmas movie. I know this because I did. Yeah. What are the elements for a Christmas movie? You want to have presents, you want to have a Christmas tree, yeah. you want to have a Santa Claus. And you want to have snow. Yeah. Somebody, I'm going to watch Lethal Weapon. It's considered a Christmas movie. What? I believe so because it, it doesn't. I be, all right, hold on. I have to watch Lethal Weapon again, but I remember talking about this. I'm not talking about this. I want to watch it again. Recently, recently, I heard someone say that's a Christmas movie because then Joshua comes to the house. It's Christmas time. Huh. I want to check that out. Maybe and also, when we're, miss- uh, we're Riggs. Yeah, and also yeah. where Riggs is um, doing his drug deal is at a Christmas t- tree boutique thing. What? And there's no snow? Yeah, there's no snow. Whoa. It's also in L.A. I mean, when's it snow in L.A.? <laughs> yeah, that too. Yeah. Even in Vegas, it would have been a lot more believable yeah. if we didn't have snow because it is Vegas. Yeah. But, but you know, that's something that I did learn, though. And also, you know, just going into the movie you want to have expectations. Yeah. You want to set goals. So and that leads me into you know, setting goals for yourself, especially in the movie business. Mm-hmm. It's super important. And I say that because you know when, when okay, the production costs you know fifty thousand. And if you let's say you you're done with the film, uh, you edited, quality control, everything good, you submit to Netflix. Netflix is only going to pay you fourteen thousand. Yeah, that doesn't. You're still in the red. Yeah, yeah. So Netflix is going to want it for a year, mm-hmm. and they may even want forty percent. But you know, if mm-hmm. but let's say they get it for a year, a year pass. Then what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So what you do is pitch it to another network. Yeah, and preferably, I would go with the network. That doesn't have an exclusivity clause, mm. so you can have it on multiple networks. Because the only way you're going to get back to that fifty grand mm-hmm. to film that movie, you're going to have to put it on multiple networks. Yeah. So, and then that's, that's another reason why I'm kind of moving away from the Netflix HBO Max. Yeah. I've had much success with all of them, but companies love to you know, have some type of ownership over the content. Yeah. Now, if, if I get it on Netflix, they hold it there for a year, and they also take forty percent. That means once I move to Netflix, another platform, Netflix is going to want forty percent of whatever that licensing. Yeah, that's not fucked Hulu, up. Hulu, HBO Max, same thing. Yeah. So, kind of, you know, kind of messed up. I get it. It's the business. Yeah. But I, I just want to be in a position where. This is where all you filmmakers out there that are listening. You make a movie, prepare for someone to tell you no. Mm-hmm. 
but that doesn't matter because the next person will tell you yes. Mm-hmm. And and that next person tell you yes, and they'll pay you that licensing fee, grand or ten grand or whatever. Go to the next platform after that, all the way, you know, until you get that fifty, that initial fifty grand back. Yeah. Once you reach that fifty grand, guys, it's time to move on to the next project. Once you recoup your your funds, you gotta move on to the next project because I see it too often that people get stuck on the same project for way too long, and they yeah. try to push. Same movie through the you know the uh, festivals, they try to push it for a little bit too long. It kind of loses buzz because you know it's it's in the large industry, yeah. and a lot of us know each other and came up with each other. So you have keep your 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 picture moving along mm-hmm. until you at least make your what you spend on the movie, or maybe even double yeah. what you spend on the movie well, as far as you want, but. Uh, don't forget to make sure you guys move on to the next part. Never give up and don't stop because that first person told you no. Yeah. Um, question also for you as well with like, have you ever thought about making, what about doing like your own network in a sense of like a Roku channel or a, you know, or a special projects that I owe? Or even a Vimeo on demand channel. Have you ever thought about that route in that regard? Because then you're technically all ownership. Yeah, in a sense. You know, I've 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 thought about that. Uh, the only reason why I didn't really go in that direction is because you know, in order for a story to be told, you have to get the audience comfortable, right? You have to get them sitting down on the couch. Have to get them, uh, you know, they have to be vulnerable with their emotions. Yeah. Have to get them, you know, they have to put a blanket on and get their foot in their hand and grab a popcorn. And in order to do that, you kind of have to get on a platform where those type of movies are served. Mm. So, you know, there's so many subscription based platforms out there uh, you know, that are already serving those type of movies where people are sitting on the couch, they're expecting to watch movie you gotta get on this movie yeah now, starting my own platform i feel like my platform would be all over the place yeah like it'll be some kids shows it'll be you know some serious movies it'll be documentaries yeah i i wouldn't watch something like that so i wouldn't want to put invest into anything like that mm-hmm. starting my own channel because i feel like it just won't have a solid direction not like doing it myself. I just know that. Yeah. You turn to the Lifetime Movie Channel. You can go to that channel expecting to watch. Yeah. A bunch of movies about you know some kind Life. of you know, good story. Yeah. You're gonna go to the NFL channel to watch something about NFL sports. Yeah. You're gonna go to sports to watch something about sports. My channel it would just be a hodgepodge of. That works well on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, not so much, but I feel like I don't, that's not like a path that I would lean towards. Mm-hmm. When people start those channels, if you're not keeping up with the trend, yeah. and what people are watching and finding a niche, you probably. So, so when you buy cable, right? Yeah. yeah. You're not buying cable for one channel. You are for the idea of 
Egyptian camp mm-hmm. with multiple ways of If you can't offer that, well, again, one channel will just, you know, directions. I just can't see it being profitable. Gotcha. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Not people will watch it, but not in the scale. If I if I move you over to Urbanplex or even because yeah. it's gonna be prepared to come back and watch the movie. Yeah, well, I, I say that because it's it, I met a guy a long time about five years ago. I was with a friends. So we were trying to make a movie, like get, we had a short we made, and we were gonna try to get funding for a film. And he was telling us like. How he has his own subscription platform. They have their own subscription platform, basically, and how they just have a bunch of content every day, every day just rolling in content, like anything, music videos, this, that, and the other thing, daily. And apparently, it's a like paid for subscription model. But he was saying like people, two thirds of the customers that go for like that thirty day free trial will stay signed on. So they like they're he's like I'm making eighty thousand dollars a month or whatever it was or some shit like some astronomical number actually i was like but like wait what so that's why i always thought about I'm like well there must be a way to you know make your own network in a sense and make it work so that's why i was wondering even the weather channel gets a million yeah you know? so but literally all they have is just weather all day long yeah right so, so you go to a channel expecting content yeah, you know, and when MTV came along, that was like a huge deal yeah. oh. because all they had were music videos. Yeah, and they kind of changed. You see how long it took them to like really change into the content that they yeah. have today. It took them a long time. Yeah, now they're not even showing music videos. Yeah, that transition has still transitioned to shows. You know, kind of like this internet themed. Yeah. You know, reality shows. Kind of central theme, you know, the gear towards obviously teens yeah. and high school kids. So they have that niche kind of like locked. Yeah. But as far as like the starting a new channel, I feel like if he made eighty grand, let's just say he made eighty grand. Yeah. And then he's putting that money back in. Well, channel. apparently he was like. Because Buying old cards, like he was. I think he was saying like he was buying old shows and like put it on the thing to watch. And then every day something new would pop up because they would go into the new new section or whatever it was or new and trending on like Roku or some shit like that. So like, there's a chance of someone wa- finding their his stuff, the stuff on that channel. Yeah, no, I see these channels pop up there. Yeah. Pop up every day. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you, I wouldn't have time and staff to curate. The vision that I have for yeah. a channel uh, where it's just niche, mm-hmm. you know, uh, I do have a show, like I said, Blood Talk for Cannabis TV. Yeah. It's obviously a channel about cannabis. Yeah. So, you know, that has always been a, uh, like, a thing to me. Like, you know, you want to, want to know the, the demographic. You want to know the demographic, you have to know the channel or the the distribution platform you're going to put your content yeah. onto. Yeah, yeah. Send a movie to Lifetime, make sure there's a chick running for her life, make sure there's a car game, make sure that's a good story. Mm-hmm. So, NFL films, make sure it's football related, make yeah. sure. So, you know, 
understanding niche and understanding genres has always been the kind of leading force for me. Mm -hmm. uh, you see movies, you know, movie theaters all the time. You see all kinds of movies. Yeah. More than likely, it's going to be a studio production yeah. where you can trust their filmmaking and trust the producers uh, versus like streaming networks where you can tune into one of those channels and one of the productions could be, you know, shot really low. And then the next plays could be lowest of the lowest production yeah but you know, something that i kind of want to mention i know we're, we're running on time here but i kind of want to mention that you know just stay stay motivated yeah and just stay positive through whatever level of production you're at yeah i know a lot of the people that are listening or or uh seem to be filmmakers or filmmakers just hold your course stick to your gun you know uh get out there network talk to as many possible absorb as many ideas as possible mm -hmm. go outside get inspired you know grab energy grab your camera and get out there and shoot yeah get out there right if yeah. you're not a writer correct production manager get out there and manage overall get out there and put your tails build a name for yourself and continue to thrive in this loving industry that loves all each one of you out there are loved and the industry will be back that, very nicely said I th I, th I have one more I have two more questions typically towards the end of the show but we didn't even get to the second half yet so you're just dropping nuggets Dave yeah. you're just dropping those fucking nuggets on me right now <laughs> and they're all good ones so <laughs> so here's here's the second half of the show real quick so we talk about the community, and we're in the biggest community. So we're gonna talk. I want to ask you about what you've seen through your eyes, the good, the bad, and the ugly, or just really the strengths, the weaknesses, and what can we do to improve the Vegas film community. So, are you ready for that? Yeah, let's go. All right, let's go. We'll start out with the positives in life, and we like strengths. So, what are the strengths of the Vegas community, film community? So, the strength of the Vegas film community. And there can be multiple uh, shorts, I too. I have to say... Uh, what was that? I said you can, there can be multiple strengths also. It's not just one. Multi, as many as you have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So one of the strengths that I would say that the Vegas film has is the, the strength of having a foundation of entertainment you can pull from. Mm -hmm. You know, like I kind of mentioned earlier, we had a play... Well, this is pre-COVID, okay? Yeah, <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, actually, look, how we recovered after COVID uh, was, was tremendous. We recently been through a shooting, a mass shooting, I'm sure most of you heard about that. We pulled together, we were able to get a stadium to come after that shooting. We were able to have more tourism dollars after that shooting. So, no question, we pulled together. And as far as Production. Uh, you know, I kind of expressed before that you know the major teams aren't necessarily giving us that look, but I've seen so many productions, you know, uh, independent productions in particularly uh, through Vegas. There's one show, uh, well, of course, there's another interview show on uh, 975 radio station. I cakes. She does the interview show. It's pretty. 
last name is Lauren Cake. She's a great. She was able to do so many things. Mm. And also, I want to mention uh, an investor here in town. Who is that? I'm sorry, you cut out for a second. ML Billion. Okay. He owns the Billion Schmidt Studio. It's literally right next door to the uh, uh, Stadium. Yeah. So, uh, so if you need to be able to come film Billion Schmidt, uh, he owns one of the largest studios here in Vegas. And what he has, the amount of content he has carrying out through there, especially over uh, has like, blown my mind. His, his content is more towards like, uh, uh, like Warren Buffett. Yeah. Uh, what what they were able to do there mind blowing. When you go in the studio, they have a studio set built off the side where there's TV screens all around, keeping track of all this. And they had Cardone come through there, mm-hmm. and all of the top state agents come through there. And the productions that they're with all these people will take the world by storm. What's that? If you have time, you know, go to Billion, B I L L I. It's done. And I, I think personally that he alone will be the driving force taking, you know, Vegas into a new direction of business news, stock news. Vegas being known for something else other than gambling and prostitution and, you know, those things. But, you know, so what I was able to do with that studio is produce this content for all people. Yeah. But what they have planned is what I think is going to go everywhere. Also, I want to bring up uh, there's a studio called Sweat House Studios. For quarantine, they had this shoot on Quarantine Kitchen. It's going to be on Animal Planet, so I don't want to say too much. Uh, I'm told uh, either Animal Planet or one of the Discovery Network. But that's just between you and me. Oh, what? Yeah. Out. What they were able to do quarantine like, completely upgraded the way people were filming. You know, the technology that we use on the set was like the Cameras, they're gonna release a whole feature about it. But what they're doing with this whole quarantine, you know, cooking shows, I just gotta check it out. It's it's breathtaking. Uh, this one young lady, she builds a sculpture on camera made of just nothing but sugar. Wow! Uh, you know, there's a bunch of cannabis shows there. I think, you know. These two studios, I think they're going to be the driving force. House, they, they're also uh, called Tank. One animal. Oh, yeah, I've, I've seen that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So they're they're some of the producers that show. And what I think these are the two leading forces, and I feel like that's these are the strengths I think it's having the community mm-hmm. to get. Makers get out, out there, so you think this platform has completely changed the way I see the content coming out of Vegas. And these two, you know, 
definitely have the strength that we mm. get things forward in the film world. Uh, any other strengths before we go to the weaknesses? Uh, you know, another strength is uh, this is after COVID again, mm-hmm. but after COVID, you know, another strength that I think we have being able to still attract filmmakers from all over the world. Mm-hmm. I personally see it myself where no matter what's happening here, it's, we're still be that hub for people from all over. Yeah. So welcoming filmmakers, I feel like that's a strength that we have because I, the, the Vegas community has been underground for so long. time has been so restrained you know, for long that now it's going to so many ideas because of the outside forces, the foreigner piece here, it's just a maker. It's, it's a whole melting pot of ideas. And not, not everybody's visiting our country. Yeah. Not everybody's visiting New York. But everybody at one point in their life will be here in Vegas. It's the melting pot of America. It's the melting pot of the world. Mm. Interesting. Didn't. Huh. I didn't see Vegas as a melting pot, but now I, I mean, I do, but I don't see it as the major melting pot. I always saw New York as a mel- big old melting pot. But you, you saying what you Look, said. Look, once, once Trump cut off, uh, once Trump cut off the uh, travel, you know, yeah. travel pants, he started to you know, kind of wake everybody up. Yeah. Like, wow. Vegas, we got to go to Vegas. Yeah. And then some people come to Vegas and start to live here. Yeah. They have a family here and they raise their kids here. Yeah. So, you know, melting pot is the best term that I could probably think of because it, it just simply is. Yeah, no, it, ma- it makes sense. And I mean, like, I mean, what was it, like an 80% of Vegas is hospitality anyway? So, like, that's a big cutoff for travel anyway. Yeah. Anyway, so, um, that's, that's huge. yeah, huge. huge. It's not even the, the, I think, a word that describes it either. Um, ginormous. <laughs> Uh, would probably be now, now, piggyback off the ginormous. You know, I want to talk about some cons of yeah. the go ahead. Of the city. Now, one of the cons of the city is, like, like we said, you know, some of the names, some of the um, stereotypes that come to the city. That you're walking down the street and every girl in the short skirt is a prostitute. Yeah. That's not saying they are. It's just that's in, the you know, prostitution yeah. and gambling. It's hard. A bad thing, mm. but to be known for your city to be known for prostitution and you know the cinema theory, and also which which is another travesty, uh, just the lack of uh, production backing mm. that Las Vegas has. Yeah, for uh, you know, all of these states, again, you know they were breaking in millions and millions. And, and then they would, the uh, uh, show would, would be on, be around, I think, it was, what, 15 years, something like that? Something like that. I, I, that I went to but, her actual, like, announcement that uh, she was doing the final tour or whatever when, when uh, that was crazy. Everyone, their mother was there. <laughs> Let's say Celine Dion had her show. Yeah. And then the same production also put finance into a local version of that show. You know, yeah, we got the version on the strip, but everybody knows that the Las Vegas strip isn't quite Las Vegas. 
uh, so, but to actually, you know, come for the community, give the community that level of entertainment. Yeah. You know, I feel like that's, that's, you know, of course the locals could go to those shows. Yeah. But uh, those shows weren't necessarily attend every day versus brand new visit. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if you went recently, but these shows, you know, uh, they aren't designed for for people to come back on yeah. a daily basis. Yeah, yeah. And I feel like I feel like that's where you know it could kept us. It it, it could have kept us. You know, I guess uh, in production, mm-hmm. even more important, if they had a smaller, more compact version of it, because now they're depending on to fill those you know, those hundreds and whatnot. Yeah. Versus Celine Dion also having a local version of that show where you know, it was a 20 seat and you know, kind of performing some of her classic. Now, obviously, it's stretching Celine Dion in multiple directions, but just, as long as they could you know, put on a replicate version of that production yeah. on a smaller scale, I think that, would, that version would have lasted through quarantine. Mm-hmm. And it will also give the locals something to kind of yeah. enjoy. Yeah. Going to the strip, having to buy a ticket for a hundred seat, everybody's screaming. Yeah, you know, it's not the best. You know, yeah, that that's cool and all, but give the locals something. I feel like just that production backing from these big million, mm. they didn't. Yeah, they're paying taxes, but I feel like they didn't like give the or attention. You have a football team that they can yeah. They're making millions. They all have community events every yeah. once or twice a week. Yeah. You know, they're coming out to the parking lot. Coming out to school. Yeah. You know, they make millions just like the state players or you know, other big productions. But the NFL took it on themselves to actually go back and a huge con for us is that these productions don't necessarily come back into the community on mm-hmm. uh, a major level, like what the NFL does. Yeah, you know, a lot of the local stage play, uh, you know, they may have some type of from a major stage play, but that's very, very uh, rarely see those type of situations. That's also knowing play grants, uh, stage production managers. Yeah, you know they have. Story about things, but definitely in the film community, we definitely stage plays to back us and produce us, and probably even you know, come together and unionize just just designed for the arts here in Las Vegas. We're definitely missing out. There's some performing arts that have connections again, unless they're not all the time. But I feel like there should be a mass mass way. Stage plays, the big stage plays, yeah. you know, putting finances and funding into a community-based you know, arena or yeah. stage play program or even a cinematic program. This one is just not well known. Uh, let, let me ask you what the NFL does. Can I, can I ask you this? If I'm if I'm if I'm kind of I'm getting I think I'm getting what you're saying, but do you want to see like a Broadway kind of in Vegas in a sense where you can have these like 
plays do have like a off Broadway style thing, how New York has it, where they have Broadway off Broadway stuff. Is that what you're trying to get with as well? That's that's exactly okay. my point. They have the Broadway, and then, like you mentioned, uh, they're doing more things for the community. Okay. And, and New York is more. It's, that's it's been that way for you know centuries, yeah. maybe or or, or whatever. The, uh, uh, but but so yeah, off big strip, you know, not in downtown. Yeah. And, yeah, downtown, but more of a of a just a place that's that's heavily focused on the arts. Yeah, where the locals could go and show their talent versus you know Garth Brooks yeah. or Celine Dion or, or Rod Stewart. Rod Stewart. Yeah, you know, but if the locals have that biggest that strip where you know they have productive videos and have stage play, yeah, you know, a whole area for that. That's and I'm sure one of your other guests had brought that up, mm. but that's definitely something that we're missing. We yeah. definitely need that Vegas production replicated into Vegas community, uh, where it's the course and you know help massage. Vegas. Yeah. Gotcha. I think you might be the first person to bring that up, having that art, like an art, se- a true art section. So I'm not going to hold you to, I'm not yeah. going to yeah. quote that you are the first person. I've done over 50, well, over 70 episodes. I can't remember everything. So you might be the first. Yeah. Yeah. I get it. But, but no, no. I, I just want to make sure that's, that's yeah. in stone. And that's one of the old of mine as well. Yeah. To, Vegas had a yeah. centralized action where the, the local, you know, go yeah. express their talent. And you know, trust me, there's many places yeah. out different throughout the entire city. But obviously, you know, the strip is yeah. a stripper reason. But all strip versions of the strip, you know, you, you see the idea where and it's that by production. I mean, yeah, that's the important thing. Those main production, yeah, keep it float. You know, a million dollars, you know, in one of those stages, mm-hmm. you know, somebody getting fat off of you know, those stage plays that bring in so much money, yeah. they can you know, give back 10 grand, 20, 40 grand into a centralized, localized yeah. version of the regular strip. They can definitely do that, especially now that COVID's you know, kind of wiped everything out. Yeah. Things restarted and refreshed, and you know, rebranded. I hear MGM going to rebrand. Yeah, uh, local hotels. I uh, used to be the Bar Rock. Rebranding. Yeah, that's uh, so, going to be the version of rebranding. Hotel. Restarting. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, yeah, I, something that I just remembered too that I wanted to bring up to you when you were talking about Albuquerque and Netflix. Netflix, Netflix can't speak, but. You know what? I, I forgot to tell you this, but you know Casa de Shandoa, Wayne Newton's estate. That sounds yeah. It's yeah. on Sunset. It's on. It's for sale, and that I looked at the landscape and the the layout of that. It's forty eight acres of land. That is a perfect production studio wow. uh, area. I think that would be a great That's like area. yeah, a great area because it's by Sunset Park, obviously, but also not just that. You can turn like those horse fields into production studios, 
and have like your your look wow. on um your oh my god I just blanked out sets and uh what oh my god sound stages the warehouses warehouses sound stages and there's yeah. and there's hospital like I think there's like pet hospitals or some other like houses on there where you can make them editing areas as well for people too. So there's actually like I thought about this. Editing babies, yeah. yeah. You if you want to take the idea, if you if you know anyone, I'm like this is a free let anyone know about this thing. So if any, I don't know if they bought anyone yeah, bought the I house know, yet yeah. still, but it's like up for it was like 36 million it was going for or some shit like that. But like if someone if Netflix was listening to this, yeah. Like if Netflix was listening or any investor who wanted to make a production studio, that is probably a primo spot to make that into a production uh, studio. Like real estate. Yeah, real estate. Yeah, anything of that nature. Prime. Pro- oh, yeah. Prime I, is anything. You're also really- very close to the airport as well. I mean, you're also close to the strip. Like that location's just perfect. Perfect. So. No, and and not only that. You know, that brings up another point. You know, mm-hmm. we're we're still thinking when it comes to real estate here in the state. Uh, I noticed that you know, in the production studio, even I don't know if you want to worry about Tesla. During the Tesla warehouse here yeah. in Forest uh, Arena, yeah. But uh, I don't know. No, they're not really supported you know, from the. There's not much support. Yeah. There's no reason to be here it's because of the real and how the land yeah. costs. But other than that, there's no other incentive to build here uh, in Nevada. And that's another point we have to bring up. Us as filmmakers, we got to get to the governor's office. We've got to look, bring down the tax rates. And I, I, I'm going to be actually on the coalition that's going to be put together mm. uh, where. This legislation will be brought up. Uh, we're kind of in the back of the Nevada Film Office, yeah. of course. Uh, but the next step after that, we're, we can have to take a or whatever governors and folks at that time. Yeah. Because getting productive studios here is obviously, you know, help towards the survival of things. Mm. All of the income has been completely, you know. Yeah. Uh, so it's Studios here, where a lot of projects can be here on the spot. Mm. That's one of the best solutions because even stage plays, right? Yeah. We have to get in like 30,000, three of the doors, or 50 million people to yeah. watch stage plays. Well, a production studio, you just got to it out. It's mm. easier than dragging. Yeah. Just you know, take a group of twenty people, filmmakers, maybe a hundred people, yeah. get them all together, and produce content constantly. Yeah. There you go. It's gonna bring you a lot of money. Production is high because you don't have to feed a million people. Mm-hmm. It's feed. You don't have to produce seed to a million people. You produce seed. Yeah. Uh, now, Celine stage new. You know, she's she can't stand up during her show. Yeah. Well, you know, like you're wearing this lady down. Celine Dion won't be in act to replace her. Yeah. But you know, that's that that's kind of I feel like that kind of gets old and obviously with you know, 
showed you that like you can't survive with COVID yeah. around. But these movie, my movie studios are still producing. Yeah. Uh, Brad, I think Brad Pitt or no. He just it's filming a movie in the hospital for of him basically yelling at his group. Yeah. All of you are depending on us to get the regulations right. Yeah. And if we don't get the COVID regulations right, it's not we will die. Yeah. I completely 100% agree with what you said. Yeah. He's absolutely right. We're, we're kind of still being made, you know, restaurants are moving. Yeah. Right? It's you know it's unfair to some people, but yeah. So so what he said was right. We're moving this, you know, humanity forward by turn out content to produce content, and I like to think of as an arrow, and we're kind of shooting through space, you know, and we're at the tip of that arrow. Mm. Zoom's video. Everybody, you know, they saw their favorite movie. Yeah, you know, kids watch video all the time. People learn videos and go videos us into the next generation of things. Yeah, and what Tom Cruise was saying was, what was holding this industry together. And again, absolutely right. Personally, I'm that person that's right. Right along with Tom Cruise, mm. like Tom Cruise, millions of people that are constantly pushing this. You know, Tom, he didn't have to yell at people, but he had to do what it takes to make sure that production gets finished. Yeah. The audience sees it and it's enjoyed. Yeah. So, David, we're at the end of the show, basically. I have two questions for you left. One, Hit me. Let's go. What's wow. Your, exciting. What is your social media that you like to give out? All right. So, uh, the answer is uh, Instagram. So, um, you know, uh, follow Instagram. You yeah, post everything. You're uh, behind the scenes. I do giveaways. We do cash giveaways. Giveaway equipment, cameras. Um, we try to keep engaged. Uh, so, see me there. I host a photography class. So, I'm also cinematography. So, I can help you mm. with your lighting, making sure you're watching the video, you know, lighting, and then we get John's lighting. We work better. <laughs> no, but uh, no, definitely hit me up. connected. I'm all about still making business. Uh, I I make sure that they, you know, has legs to stand on. Oscars, Emmys, awards out there. I want to have something to kind of push and submit our place here. Me personally, I just want to put on a good show. Yeah, awesome. And then last question. Like I said, you've been dropping nuggets all night or all day, whatever whatever time you're listening to this. but what is that last final golden nugget? That last one. All right, this last golden nugget is going to be a story. 
and this is this is like uh, nobody ever heard this story before. It's gonna be the first time I ever tell this story. This will be less than the story. So just stick around. When whenever like, you're down, depressed, try to stick back to yourself. And and I learned it's sticking back to yourself and thoughts can just settle down in your head or you express them to someone else. It will help you in so many ways and I'll tell you how. So coming up in the film industry, you're exposing people and then it'll get you down. They will get you down. 100% of the time. From Smith, Pop, Cruz, Brad Pitt, all the way down to reality stars. Mm-hmm. The critique will get you down. The online toxicity will get you down. He judgmental and the the you know uh, you know broad feeling of you know disrespect and depression will get to you. But what I can tell you right now is get gather the thoughts in your head, ball them in your head, ball them up in your head, go to your favorite place, my wife her favorite place. My favorite place is the park. Um, your favorite place is go to your favorite place. All of bad negative thoughts pop out. Stay away from the negative blog site. Stay away from people constantly putting negative thoughts in your ear. Because no matter what, the internet isn't going anywhere. How many people take internet high? Years off the internet if you want, but the critique will be there. Hmm. I can tell you as to how to avoid it is by meditating, getting rid of those thoughts off your head. Back to creating. If you're that sending the toxicity to people and giving people, you know, just constantly badgering them and judging them. You're that toxic person. Stay away. But overall, you know, mental health is medicine. You know, get creative. Explore. See people. Talk to people. Be happy. Embrace life. Embrace life. And embrace, embrace your fellow man. And, and that's it, guys. Man, that, great stuff. That was that was perfect. Right. That was perfect, man. Thank David. Thank you so much uh, for coming on the show and doing this with me. Hopefully, post COVID, we'll have you actually back in the actual studio where we're doing the podcast in real life, not in virtual world. Um, Can't but- wait. But again, thank you guys for listening, and remember to subscribe to podca- the podcast. We're on Spotify, Overcast, Tune Radio, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Pandora, you name it, we're on it. I can't do this without my frame chasers, and I'm just trying to bring knowledge to all you listeners out there. And I hope you're getting some great, valuable information and learning something from it because we all have a story, and we all go through things at the same time or at different times. And I hope the people...